Hey, Sandra. Hey. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you like whisper, hey, hey. hey. I it's hope like, como agarras confianza, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's been a minute, or at least. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I even saying? Why am I on this show? <laughs> why, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. Um, things have been happening in my life. I don't feel like oversharing necessarily on the pod, but you you know about some of the things that, that are going yeah. on. And so um, they're very exciting and I'm very, very happy that things are going well. I'm super so happy. It's just, just know it's great. Of like, just know it's good yeah, news. Yeah, like having fingers crossed for the next yeah. few months. Yeah, fingers, fingers, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, legs crossed. Oh. Everything. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's very, very happening. And <laughs> mm-hmm. um, other than that, I've been, I got into Mr. Robot. It's a really interesting show in terms of like cybersecurity and hacking. Are you sure? So it really did makes you, me you think did about... you, Wait, did you share this before? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I feel like you've On shared. The pod? I feel like you have. I've told you various times. I don't know if I've told the pod. I have you? Sorry, now no, I'm like, should this go on? I feel pod? like I have told the pod. <laughs> have you? <laughs> Uh, I have a feeling that you may have. <laughs> I may have told the pod. Right? I, I don't even know, dude. I don't know. I, I don't even know. I've also gotten into Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, okay. That's and cool. And cool. That's cool. Yeah. But I know you so, really like Mr. Sitcoms, Robot. Yeah. I know that you like yeah, Mr. Robot. Yeah, Mr. Robot's really good. Um, because it's a it's a fresh show. And I think of, like, you know, with everything that's going on and post-Facebook Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Equifax and all these things that have been <laughs> happening with our personal information, yeah. and now Amazon taking information from cities. Oh yeah, the new headquarters. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All that stuff going on <laughs> in New York yeah, right dude. now. I know. So <laughs> oh, New York. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. York. So how have you been, Sandra? Oh my God, I've been great. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, I've been I've been really good. So. Veterans Day weekend just passed through. Um, I took my three days and chilled. But before that, for about like three days, I was in New York for mm. a work conference thing. And it was just like my first time in New York. And it was, oh my God, it was just, it was everything, dude. I loved it. I loved everything about <laughs> it. I literally just was like, I'm in the clouds like the entire time i was there i loved it i loved new york i was literally i also was very limited i didn't have a lot of time to actually explore new york but like yeah literally just like the energy as soon as i went outside i was like fuck like i love this shit like this is my energy (laughs) like i love this like everyone is fucking on their fucking grind yeah i loved it i was just i felt like I felt the inspiration of life and shit. I was so just like, <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I feel it. Like I really did. Like it, the only other place I've, I felt like that is in is in Seoul and South Korea. Like I, I mean, and in downtown yeah. LA, to an extent, <laughs> but yeah. to a very small extent. It just, I don't know. It's just that life, like it, that is really like popping and going everywhere, and just everyone is going yeah. everywhere. People of color, everyone, and everywhere, every everyone was just somewhere. You know what I mean? It, it was just fun. <laughs> it was just really good. And I met Eunice and Casey. Casey, who we actually had interviewed mm. on this show, who had just recently hey, arrived to New York. Casey. Who and before that he was in uh, Atlanta, but 
I was super stuck to meet Casey, even though I know you talked to him some. I was I talked yeah. to him here and there. Yana actually was like, you know, Casey's in New York, and I was like, oh, he is. <laughs> oh shit, I don't even know. And yeah, he had literally just moved there, so. I'm so excited to just have had that opportunity to meet both Eunice and Casey. Eunice's handle on Twitter is at Eunice Five Ever. Uh, I'm gonna put that shit in the show notes. I'm not trying to spell that shit out, <laughs> but <laughs> it was just it was just great to meet them. We had Trini food. Uh, there's pictures of it on Twitter and on Instagram. So I mean, it was really important to me to like have the opportunity to meet people in New York that are Central American because yeah. I was like I don't know like in LA it's like LA is just such a, a I mean regardless of like how different New York and LA is like LA is a big city in like its own way yeah and then New York is like the literal just like wow like a monster but I, I <laughs> but actually like New York is literally really small compared to LA like if we're looking at like mass and like mileage mm. and shit but like it doesn't feel like that because yeah. of the way space is proportioned here which is another cool thing to talk about because they built up yeah they built up versus like we built out right. but it, yeah. it feels like so massive when you're there it really does uh and, but it's mm. amazing regardless it's a it's an amazing place <laughs> yeah it was great and we talked about central american shit we spilled hella tea and it was just like <laughs> it was just fun so yeah. that happened and then I came back and I don't know, I've just been having a good ass time. Like Venus retrograde has been in full fucking swing swing. Like Venus retrograde <laughs> has literally been demolishing, like like testing, pulling and pulling these relationships. Like You know, I haven't really felt that. I mean, aside from like a few scare- discrepancies, but uh, no, like um, this past weekend, I got to go to Temecula and hang with my friend who's going to go to um, South Korea for a year to teach English. Shout out to Luis. <laughs> so um, we like I didn't feel the Ven- Venus retrograde, but I know that it's been messing with people as of late. <laughs> as of late? <laughs> <laughs> as, as of, of like late. the last six weeks. <laughs> oh, man. But I actually, I think I've definitely been feeling it. I don't know about you, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to you gotta felt, like, the good go part. through it, you got to be like a social person, right? That's so true. <laughs> I think I've been too social, dude. I think I need to stop. <laughs> you feel tired? It's not that I feel tired. It's more like, yeah, I just kind of keep jumping to like these like masses of like, and it is overwhelming, but like I know that I love it. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, I like being a really social person. I like being really out there, like talking a lot. I don't feel like I had that in the Bay, honestly. Like I felt very like like sub- subdued in a lot of ways while I was yeah. up there. And I feel like in New York, I was even fucking more out there than I ever, I ever could have really been in LA. I feel like I was talking to hella strangers. Like I was just like out here like fucking <laughs> sense of adventure is fun. New York Sandra. <laughs> Reckless Sandra, dude. Ugh. I love it. <laughs> Reckless Sandra is back, and I've been saying that, and I don't know if anyone believes me. I mean, actually, Sam, you'll believe me. I've been pretty reckless these days. I believe you. <laughs> so, I believe you. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. I feel the recklessness, but I think that's uh, that's just me finally growing into me being here permanently, and me just it's just like not holding as much like weight on me and just not being as stressed anymore and having a lot more opportunities and literally like freedoms like i don't know i'm finally making money like it feels good <laughs> dang yeah. like i could save money like 
<laughs> I, I have that luxury. <laughs> I can actually save money. Yo, but yeah, yo, but New York was just really great, and my life's just been going pretty, <laughs> like chill right now. And I'm just I'm enjoying what's happening right now. But Venus retrograde is definitely fucking coming for my fucking life because <laughs> my yeah. relationships are definitely being tested right now, and and that's not it's bad. Over. And that's not bad. That's not bad, right? That's life. Like it literally no. needs to happen. So it just requires more work and more attention. Yeah, which which we can handle. Which I I feel yeah. literally ready to handle. Like I feel like I have. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's why it hasn't affected me. It's like. like <laughs> it's like Sam You already possess the skills To effectively communicate with others Wow Shut so, up Leo ah! Leo asshole <laughs> Okay Leo yeah, Okay Leo Okay yeah, Meta. Okay well Anywho that text from weeks ago Sam huh? Anywho <laughs> So this episode is about <laughs> So we're gonna introduce this no. week's guest mm-hmm. Obviously, by the title, you're going to know who it is, but this week we have uh, Carla Vasquez, who is the creator of Salvi Soul, and Carla Vasquez, Carla, shout out to Carla, is a food justice advocate, a historian, and a proponent for healthy food accessibility in low-income communities. Carla holds a degree in journalism and completed her culinary training at the New School of Cooking. She specializes in community building, nutrition education, food history, and health coaching. Most recently, she was the LA Food Bowl Festival event coordinator at the LA Times. And she's obviously been working on this kind of like cookbook anthology of Salvadoran women. And to understand like herself and her relationship with food and, you know, just do really amazing things and talk to amazing women. And yeah, I don't I, I'm just really excited to have her. So is Sam, obviously. You were you were like yeah. fangirling, dude. Sam was straight up like about <laughs> it, dude. Which she, sh- I mean, she deserves yeah. it. She deserves it. Yeah, I I went in with like questions and conversation because it was it's fascinating. Food has always been a fascinating thing to me. I've wanted to learn to cook from my mom, and she's often been like uh, willing to teach me, but also in that gender stereotype of like. I wish I could be giving this on to my, like, daughters. And so I think it's very interesting to see Carla out there collecting these recipes and stories from women and, like, doing kind of what I was doing with my mom of, like, hey, can you teach me how to make this? But, like, going out there and talking to the women in the communities. And so I think that was really important. But, yeah, so, like, I was definitely in my fangirl moment. But when we met Carla, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> that was different. I don't know. We met Carla, so we had dinner with Carla. Uh, it w- it was oh my god! Mm-hmm. First of all, you need to set the scene. If y'all are from LA, yeah. there was a couple weeks ago. There was like a literal random storm. Like it it, yeah, it like wa- like for one night, follow. like straight up, like it happened in like two three hours, and it was really scary. Mm-hmm. And that was the night we were meeting mm-hmm. Carla. So set the, yeah. I just set the scene. Go Sam. Go Sam. <laughs> yeah, so um, we had set to meet up around 7.30 at Paseo San Miguel if you're from the South Central area of Los Angeles. You know about Paseo San Miguel, hopefully. If not, then look it up and try them out. They're pretty good. And so we're on Western going south to Paseo San Miguel. 
and the rain starts pouring down and we're like in gridlock traffic and like the streets are low-key flooding because LA isn't equipped to deal with a lot of rain but Sandra pointed out that like in LA it rains for a short period of time but heavy rain and so uh, we eventually make our way to the restaurant and we're looking for parking and I circled the block a few times looking for parking in the rain and so we notice the person is about to leave and we're about to pull into the spot and the way the parking lot is set up the way that I was facing I thought I was the only one who had vantage of the the parking spot and the car that's pulling out leaves and this other person's car just takes the spot immediately and since Sandra and I have been looking for parking for a bit, we're running late to this dinner meeting. We're like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. It was raining. And it was the it most was ideal raining. parking spot. It was stressful. We were just like, we were, I literally, yes, it was. And I literally was like, fuck you. I was literally mm-hmm. like, I cannot believe this person did that. I was, we were yeah. so upset we, we were, were like, like okay oh my god we're gonna go Whatever. find parking who cares <laughs> we know and how you are okay yeah okay <laughs> and so All we right. find parking i'm glad these windows are tinted <laughs> and then we like meet up with carla and we're like you know chit-chatting how's your drive over here oh my god the rain blah 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 and then we get to talking about finding parking <laughs> and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's crazy because i had this we we said this we were like watch yeah. that car watch that car be fucking <laughs> and then she yeah. was like yo <laughs> and then that was me yeah we it was a moment <laughs> and carla was oh also God, like was had so, i been we you i would have been really really mad too and you're totally justified and like cursing me out blah 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 and it was like Okay, but she still got the parking. <laughs> I know, it was dude. good. I know, dude. That was so funny. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, yeah. though. Carla, Carla mm-hmm. said she... Because Carla was also late. We were both mutually late, by the way. Yeah. So, Carla was literally in the same mm-hmm. situation as the, as us. She was like, what is up with this rain? Because Carla also grew up in LA. Yeah. It was literally like, I need a park and mm-hmm. I need to get here ASAP because it's raining. Yep, and, and then she straight up was like, oh, I see those cars going in, but I'm going to take this spot because <laughs> I'm late. <laughs> and then she said that she also thought the same thing. She's <laughs> like, watch this be them. Like, watch this be them. So, I don't know. It was fun. <laughs> it was just hilarious to talk to Carla for the first time. So, shout out to Carla. This is going to be a love fest for sure. Yeah. Shout out to LA. Shout out to LA Park. Shout out to the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Okay. Y'all are in for a good episode. Yeah. This so, time uh, thank you so much, and yeah. here, here it goes. Yeah. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Fuchika Vos. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm really excited for this interview to start. Um, we mentioned earlier our guest is Carla Vasquez from Salvi Soul. And Carla, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for the two of you for having me. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, I'm Carla Vasquez. I am a food historian and a food writer. 
and um, a lot of my experience has been in the food justice world which is kind of how I landed in the food world was through um, social justice organizing for food um, access in low-income neighborhoods and now I'm working on Savi Soul which is the project the cookbook storytelling project where I am documenting the stories of 25 women and each of them is also uh, uh, contributing two recipes to the cookbook so we're documenting Salvadoran foodways and recipes and all the regional differences and all the wonderful things that we don't know about Salvadoran food um, and I've been working on that since 2015 so it feels like it's been a long time <laughs> so that's me <laughs> so how's your week been sorry that was a really good introduction <laughs> uh, but how's your week how's, like so far what is you know your shit and your giggle what is a good and a bad thing and a thing you're looking forward to so to answer that I can actually think of uh, one thing that is all those three things the shit and the giggle, and what was the other part? Just something looking forward, forward to, it, to is a story I've been working on for Eater LA. I've been working on this story for months, four months actually, which is definitely wow. a shit. Like this was <laughs> not fun, but it just kind of it takes what it takes to to get the story right. Um, and the giggle is that. Hopefully, I don't want to jinx this, but hopefully it'll be published in a few days. Ooh. So I got the, I got the news that the story moved to the final editor, which Maybe. it hadn't before. So now I know that it's in her hands, and she's like, you know, making sure that it's exactly what it needs to be. So I'm really looking forward to that. This would be my first feature in, in Eater in Eater Ooh. LA. So I. That's big. Yes. That's really big. Yes. Yes. And it it has felt like like psychological warfare in Uh some ways. Writing is is not for for the weak. It's not. It's not. No, it's it's not. It's you know, it's it's very romantic to think of yourself as someone who captures life through words and puts it on a paper and then someone reads it and then they know and see what you felt. That's really romantic. That's not all of what writing is. Um, yeah. I think if you if you do it and you, and you hone your craft, you know what people say that all the time, but it really is like it's a lot of work. It's, it's a, a job. Lot, it's a job. It's a lot of rewrites. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many drafts I had to go through to get to this Stage. version wow. that is now in her hands being edited one last time. Wow. Um so, yeah, that, that is definitely a shit giggle looking forward to all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really excited. Wow. Well, that just transitions oh, yeah. perfectly yeah. into our first question. What has been the most difficult story to cover as a food journalist? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah, I mean, the story that will be published um, on Eater is about... What does it take for a cuisine to go mainstream? Mm. And the story perspective is sharing it through the stories of three restaurateurs who are Salvadoran. And they are Vichos Trek, mm-hmm. La Pupusa DTLA, and then Cuscatleca Bakery. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they, um, I think 
they're all Cuscatleca Bakery is probably the oldest of yeah. of the yeah. three with as far as like institutionally because they have the original Cuscatleca Panaderia, yeah. Yeah. not bakery, Panaderia, and they've been in Pico Union for years. Like my family has always gone there for pan dulce, so it's just a story about how do how what are they doing to kind of pave a way where we will start seeing contemporary Central American food. What does that even look like? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I. I, I get excited about these things and I also get really like scared because you, you know we've all kind of experienced uh, seeing someone misrepresent our culture or mm-hmm. um, people who are not Salvadoran you know doing you know taking certain liberties with the cuisine um, we see that in every cuisine right and there's always this like fear like oh my gosh no mm-hmm. um, but you know what I really wanted to highlight was that these are three Salvadorans, mm-hmm. three business owners, mm-hmm. and they're doing it on their terms. Uh, and each of them has a story of struggle and a story of sacrifice that they're, you know, choosing in exchange to make sure the cuisine doesn't die and that it's alive, that it, it travels with us, you know. As, mm-hmm. as we grow here in this country, as the community of Salvadorans, I really feel culture comes with you which means that it evolves it can change mm-hmm. there's an there's a rhythm to it um, mm-hmm. it can breathe it can make you uncomfortable it can make you excited and the three of them are really trying to figure out how to do that what what do they have to say so that was definitely very difficult yeah, um, to con- that's very difficult to convey yes it's really complex yes and you know a lot of what I've learned with a lot of food writing and, and or just good writing is that the writer helps the reader see the connections that the reader wouldn't have time otherwise to see. Yeah. So when you you have something in front of you, you're like, I know that there's something here. What's the story? What's the mm-hmm. angle? You know, and um, that sometimes it takes longer Um so that yeah, that was uh, extremely challenging, but I am so happy that I, I think we we got this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's gonna it's, get published. It's oh, gonna yeah. get published. It sounds really good. A, a way that we connected. Whew, I'm getting ready for <laughs> for this. I'm a little nervous. So the way that Carla and like I started talking is because I put out. Uh, a writing that I did because I'm someone that is like very very into like Los Angeles specific like food media and journalism and there is someone that is like very big uh, called Gustavo Arellano and he's kind of seen as also kind of like a food journalist but also just like a also just a journalist but he's also kind of made himself a sort of like LA Chicano like Latino Latinx type of well, I, I don't know about the X but Latino representative uh, and he's like a very he's like the person you go to for a fucking quote in terms of like Latino food or like Mexican food in LA or Mexican food in Southern California cuisine so I wrote something about it and how food media eats him up meanwhile like all, a lot of people in the Southern California community don't fuck with him or don't feel like he is actually a very good representative 
And so I wrote about that, and then I mean, it took its it took a life of its own. <laughs> I got a, like got a little messy, mm-hmm. but it's okay. I, but that's like how Carla reached out to me, being like, because I shouted her out because all of this started because of an episode. There there are a lot of factors as to why this story started, but I'm a big fan of LA Good Food, which is Evan Kleiman's show about food in Los Angeles, but also just like food in general, food culture. And she interviews like a lot of really famous like business owners, chefs, uh, people who just like make food culture and food media too. So she's she's just like a queen in like the LA food media scene. She's like literally like the biggest person. So I was just really disappointed in an episode that she published where she had Gustavo Gustavo Arellano like as like a major contributor to this episode and his like click about tortillas and it was just like an entire episode about tortillas that talked only about like southern california mexican tortillas and it didn't mention that there are other types of tortillas like salvadoran tortillas or just central american tortillas in general and also women were completely absent in this episode except for evan which is kind of like in our culture it's so women are like the tortilleras like that is just it's so essential for women to like make not essential to make the uh, the tortillas but i mean like it is just such a like that one image you see at every salvi restaurant it's like women making tortillas and pupusas like it's always women so the fact that you can't convey that and even in the story that they published alongside it like a blog post the image that they have of like ancient of like ancient mesoamerican people it's like women making the tortillas and the men getting drunk in the back like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so that was just like really disappointing to me so i wrote that story and i mentioned that carla carla's work like they could have easily have gone to you and asked you to be a part of this episode to talk about like women or to like bring someone even like as a referral to bring with you to talk about this and making tortillas and like you're you're someone making content and i mentioned you in that article and then you replied to me (laughs) this is a really long introduction (laughs) yes no i absolutely agree that you know women not only have they been traditionally the practitioners of these foodways, but also they're the ones that carry the cultural burden and shame when they don't know how to make tortillas. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, rem- I have memories of seeing my mom make tortillas and just being fascinated at the rhythm she was making and the sound. And I'm like, I will never be able to do that. Um, and then, you know, kind of feeling like, okay, let me try, let me try. And then seeing the tortilla come out, not at all round, all wobbly, <laughs> like super desastre. Uh, and then, you know, having them say to you, like, oh, you know, like, you, you need to learn how to do this. Porque cuando te cases, ¿qué vas a hacer? You know, what are you going to do when you get married? Literally, that's yeah. the line. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the, it, it, is a, it is disappointing um, to see that you know you you get praise when you hear the praise uh it's not for the people who have really sustained that that custom yeah um and and you know that's honestly why i made salvi soul that's why i decided um that i needed to to we needed to pay attention to the women who are for real, the ones who are preserving the cuisine. If you were someone who wanted to learn Salvadoran food, you don't go to a school. Thankfully, now you could go to YouTube. Um, <laughs> and depending on video quality and all of that, yeah. you would probably be able to learn it. 
Um, but say you don't have those resources um, or you just don't think about it. You go to a home, you go to a mom who's making the food. She's the one who's teaching you. Um, and she's doing something that actually takes, to, to make pupusas, it takes hours, it takes days. To make, you know, the Thanksgiving turkey that we love, it takes time. Like these are labor intensive customs and I didn't feel that the the merit for the work that they were doing, the craft that they had really perfected and gotten really good at, that they were being recognized. So Salvi Sol was really a way for me to say, you know what? This is this is what we're gonna do. Like we're gonna we're gonna hear about them and we're gonna know their story and also I, I was I grew tired of seeing videos like media platform videos where they show you how to make certain foods like say if it's an ethnic video and you know they just show you the hands mm. oh like you the know? tasty video yeah. buzzfeed type of yeah, video yeah. yeah 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 and i've always like i i cringe so deeply like because it's it's you're really just um using that as entertainment right and that's okay but these hands you know made a commitment to learn how to practice this like if you make any recipe it's because it it was born from a commitment to to say i enjoyed this so much that i'm going to learn how to make this mm-hmm. and you know a lot of the women um salvadoran moms they've they've enjoyed doing it some of them haven't and those stories, you know, need to need to have a platform. We need to hear them. We need to see their faces. We need to see the faces that belong to the hands that are mm. making these foods. And and I'm really I I've loved every single one of the women. The 25 women um, has really ha- has really shown me, you know, how diverse our stories are. Mm-hmm. Um, just the women alone. Um, how they came to the U.S. Not all of them have stories of crossing the border. Not all of them had tragic love stories where there was machismo and chauvinism and violence, you know. Not all of them uh, had poverty, you know. Like, all of them had their story, you know. They all still had their own voice, um, which has been a really exciting thing. But to bring it back to the tortilla thing, um, I was I was so appreciative. I was so... Um, excited <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think I saw it on Instagram because uh, I think I, I have I follow you and so yeah. I was looking and I had seen of course the flyers for that event I had to go somewhere else so I wasn't able to attend but I wanted to see like what was the deal and I can't remember the title you put on there but it was really catchy and I was like <laughs> I felt like we worked really hard on Sam that yeah. I was consulting Sam for that no and I just remember like, like mm, this this is gonna be good <laughs> the tea is ready <laughs> the tea is ready and yeah and that evokes such a like that's sensation that's what it was <laughs> I know that's what it was <laughs> Sam came up with yeah. you, no you came up with that yeah, and then I came up with the, the second part yeah. The yeah. monolith part. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, oh, okay, let me click on this. And I started reading and I was like, yep, yep, I, I, I hear you. I feel you on that. And then I started reading oh, yeah, the paragraph. I didn't, even, I didn't even like tag you in it. Yeah, I just, no. <laughs> and I just was like, I wrote that in it. that same day, that same afternoon. I wrote it, that thing on my phone in two hours. Wow. And then I edited it a little bit and I added the embedded links and like I just put That's it out awesome. there. Because it was just, 
it was just i mean i wrote it in the thing like i was angry it was just like this is so stupid yes like this is so stupid yes and i just like put it out there and it was a very in the moment just like i wrote this shit out and then sam uh, like reviewed it like revised it for grammar and stuff and then I just, like, threw it out there, and I added the little links and stuff. Yeah. No, no, I was totally like, oh, my gosh, that's my name. That's, that's my name. She's mentioning me. That's crazy. Um, so that was really, really cool. And, I mean, I always – one of the things that stopped me in the beginning from starting this project mm-hmm. was I, I really was afraid to start because I felt that no one would care. And mm. this was something that I had been um, struggling with and, and I wasn't sure, you know, I want to do something. I'd grown up hearing stories about my my mom waking up and going to bachillerato and then, you know, seeing, you know, a lot of the a- aftermath of what had gone on the night before. I'd grown up hearing these stories and they were always so vivid. And maybe it's because I was, you know, a little kid with, imagination of there's boards like the perfect setting to just have your imagination just go crazy but things were very vivid and I felt that my parents had done this incredible thing and you know when you grow up feeling this kind of like uh deuda you know Mm -hmm. like you feel indebted um you always want to honor them in some way and at least that's how I have felt with my my folks and and then cooking, you know, that's how I received a lot of these stories, you know. It wasn't while we were doing laundry. It was while we were eating, you know. Um, and I always tell people that as as I was nourishing, like, my body, this part of me that, this, this part of me who wanted to understand El Salvador and understand why we left, mm. wanted to understand my identity. And it was through these stories and it was at the table while we were eating that I felt all this nourishment. And so, you know, I lost my train of thought. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Uh, no, well, what I wanted to ask is that um, earlier you mentioned how it's been a really rewarding experience talking to these 25 women and hearing their stories and getting, like, you know, the literal science to cooking from them also. And so I'm curious, you know, what have been some of the most, like, obviously you don't have to divulge the whole story you know your, your book's still coming out so tell us as much as you want we don't need the, the chapter but um what has been the most like emotional moment for you or like one of the moments that like stands out to you and that like you look back on that conversation and you know it makes you like feel warm or feel some kind of way of like yo this shit is really really important and like this story needs to be told or like this needs to be shared and thank you to this person for trusting me you know what has been a moment like that for you and also i feel like this book might later be in like sociology classes for like ethnographic stuff because this is literally i was thinking about it while you were talking about it. I'm like this is an ethnographic study yes it is you are interviewing women who perform this associated labor and you're recounting their stories and like these are very specific in time context y todo. so just Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, say wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, to answer the first part of the question, yeah. every single interview, there was a moment where I, if I, if I think about every single one, there, there was a moment there. Mm-hmm. Every, Did you cry? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I feel like I would cry at every single one. Every single one. Um, and I think the reason why there are tears often mm-hmm. isn't because 
the story they've gone through is, you know, was arduous or was difficult. I think the reason they cry is because someone's asking. Mm. Someone's saying, tell me, tell me what you did. Tell me what you survived. Show me your scar. And I'm going to say, thank you for doing it. You know, I I feel goosebumps as I'm saying this, you know, Mm. because it was really every single, you know, these are women who are, older their moms their abuelitas they've seen a lot of things and they know how to carry their wound so it's not so much like crying or feeling this tender mm-hmm. vulnerability just for fuck's sake or can i you no. curse? <laughs> um, but it's, it's it's because it's you know we're 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 exchanging where mm-hmm. i'm sitting across from them i'm i'm, I'm saying like i want to hear who you are what what led you to this moment now where you're in front of me and I've always felt super grateful when they you know open their doors to me and one of the things that I was very careful about because I knew that this is it's your story you know it's it's you have to be careful um I was very intentional about not pursuing any of the women Mm -hmm. um because I wanted them to feel like they if they were ready to share they could share with me, and I was there to listen. Okay. Um, and and that was, I think, what made the space. Once I was there, it made it like they were ready to just like throw it all out. Yeah. And one of the cool things is that I would take a picture of them when I got there, and then I'd take a picture of them at the end. And I didn't do this with all of them. It was something I did early on. And you can really see a difference. You can really see a difference in their eyes their posture looks a lot more relaxed um and you can tell like they just a part of them may be healed in that um and so i think for me this is with every single i can't tell you that there was one specific one um of course i've interviewed my mom and my grandmother um and my auntie is in it um and then family friends that i've known my whole life and you would think, oh, because, you know, I've known them and I am familiar with them. You know, we shared a bond and that was awesome. But that same thing kept happening with women that mm-hmm. I had just met, you know, that I met online on Instagram. And they <laughs> said, I want to be a part of this. Okay, great. Let's make it happen. So it was, it, I think it was just their, the, the simple fact that it was, they felt ready to share, yeah. you know. And, and that was a cool thing for me to learn, too, is the ethics of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us who have parents who have survived a huge thing, a lot of immigrants, um, we all, we're hungry to understand. And I think that's a really beautiful, noble thing. I have learned that every good story belongs to the storyteller, mm-hmm. not to the audience that could learn something from it or, yeah. you know, whoever it may be. Um, it belongs to them. So when they want to share it, um, you'd be ready to listen. And then thank you for saying that about your, you yeah. know, people seeing it as, as this wonderful thing to study. Because that's, that, that's crazy. That's awesome. No, it's true. <laughs> like, it's just, these are experiences of a shared, like, population. Yeah. And, like, a very subset, like, group of it. And to just hear their stories and hear you. And earlier you mentioned it, you know essentially as a writer you have to be the bridge especially in food culture where like food is the literal culture sometimes or most of the time and so you have to like put that in paper 
and make them feel that they're enjoying the meal or being there comiendo, you know, in the mm -hmm. space. And so you are the, the connection there. And so that's why I think your work is like gonna be studied. Like it's gonna be like literal, like literature that you're gonna like <laughs> get a, a class. Okay. You're gonna host the class the, and you're gonna make your students buy it. You're your gonna book. buy your own book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true because it's just like there's so oh, much value so funny. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will make sure to add a disclaimer in the book. And say, <laughs> if you've ever had, a, if, if you find yourself doing this for homework, no, this started only because I wanted to learn how to cook this. Thing. That's so funny. Um, that's really that's great. Okay, so um, one question that I have is okay. So you do um, Facebook videos or like tutorials where you teach people how to cook different things. So you did a tortilla making one yes. before, and you've recently done the noigados. The masa with the salvi vegan. Yes. And so I'm very curious because. Can you the, explain who the salvi vegan is? Yes. So salvi vegan is chef. I think it's Norma. Norma Perez. Yes. 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 Okay. Cool. And she's super dope. I love going on her IG because she's always going to different stores in LA and ordering the vegan stuff that they have and reviewing it and like coming up with her own recipes and just ah. Amazing. This holiday season, I really want to buy stuff from her because... Oh, yeah, because she makes them and she sells them. <laughs> and sells them. I tried her tamales, mm -hmm. the, the sabi chicken, tamal de pollo, and it was delicious. Wow. It was Ooh. really good. Uh, I want to try it. I really yeah. want to try she, it. She, and she's... Shout out to Norma, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, she's super diligent in um, staying true to what to what it should taste the like. You yeah. know, the flavors. But she's also super thoughtful in how she changes the recipe so that it fits, you know, her vegan lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love, I've, I love, I have so much love for Norma. And she's <laughs> wonderful. And her food's really good. And she has just a really great um, drive to not let go of her food, mm -hmm. no matter what, you know, no matter <laughs> what vegan or vegetarian or lo que sea. Yeah. Um, so I think that's always really cool when you find folks who are as crazy about what you're crazy about mm -hmm. in their own unique way. So Yeah, yeah, like she posted that she was at like El Turco Market. Oh, yeah. Like she's everywhere just like talking to the people behind the counter, making friends and trying their stuff. But so the question I had for you was, um, what are your thoughts on like these vegan adaptations or like vegan fusions of foods that we might not be like have grown up with or like might not know that this was possible or like what even is veganism? You know, what has your experience been one in like seeing that happen sure. and like writing about it? And to did you ha notice any conversations like these with the women that you were like what opinions did they have of those things mm. too like these new trends or these mm -hmm. new things happening to food and like living in like a diaspora community where you're exposed to so many different things you're gonna try to adapt those things to your food too so how do these like older folks who are the ones you know replicating the culture to the younger folks mm -hmm. how did they feel about these new adaptations coming in hmm. it's, all, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to unpack so yeah. I'll take it yeah. <laughs> um, so first, one of the things I wanted to kind of share about the Salvi Soul Facebook Lives mm -hmm. is that I started doing them because I um, kept meeting people who were very opinionated about Salvadoran food. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I'd ask them, oh, how many times have you made this? Or do you know how to make this? And they'd say, oh, no, I don't. But the, I always felt like there was a certain kind of shame that they experienced um, because they were so passionate about the food, but they'd never made whatever. Yeah. And, and I think that that's okay. And so I wanted to create a space um, where people, where I can say to you, I've never made this. And we're going to learn how to make it together. And we're going to invite people um, and have a very collaborative um, spirit about it because unfortunately a lot of us were divorced from our culture and the country that we have roots in and so we're we, we need to kind of um frankenstein this you know kind of stitch. can we be a guest on your show because <laughs> i don't know how to like cook very well in general i mean i i try yeah but like i want to be a guest and, and, and <laughs> to, to be to be honest like it was something that came um when i met one of the women mm. Um, she is a teacher. She's going to be in the book and she's a business owner. And, you know, we were talking about food and what recipe she was going to contribute. And she said, you know, well, I don't, I don't, I have a very busy lifestyle. I'm not making these things like weekly or monthly mm. or special occasions, maybe, you yeah. know, but maybe we go to a restaurant. She, and she kind of gave me a, a lot to think about as far as like, what does the modern, salvi person um eat like you know a lot of us live in la are you eating salvi every day you're probably eating thai one day eating you know burgers another day and that's okay which but that also means that your time to actually practice a method is limited um and so i really wanted to create a space where people could say I'd love to make tortillas, and that's a simple thing. And I don't want to feel embarrassed or ashamed that I don't know how to make it. I would just look on this thing, y ahí me van a decir. And that's, you know, what I was hoping to create. Um, and so with um, when I approached uh, Norma to kind of come on there, you know, we I always try to have a recipe that's easy to do, um, that is, you know, pretty user-friendly. And um, it was super easy to think of nuegados. Mm-hmm. And we both were like, oh, yeah, for sure. This is something that is easy to make and it's fun. And, you know, you can it's make good. for... Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, for the long, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that I've kind of loved learning about Salvadoran foodways is that we kind of get stuck in labels sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. vegan is, yeah. like... You think of like the vegan street food festival where things are expensive, expensive, what have you. Um, But a lot of, you know, our Salvadoran foods are vegan. Yeah. Or vegetarian. Or vegetarian, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know I make it, uh, the times I've said this, people get um, upset. But pupusas did not traditionally have cheese. (laughs) And I know that it's a, a very cultural thing to get that crispy part of the, oh, the cheesy <laughs> film. The, That's the best part? It's the best. It's so good. It's fried cheese. It's yeah. fried. You can't go wrong. Yeah. yeah. With fried or cheese. And if it's yeah. the same thing all in one, ooh. 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 Yeah. You know. But that's not part of the package traditionally. Um, and so Pupu says it, in the original concept was just a masa filled with ayote or whiskey or frijoles or the blossoms of the ayote 
um, loroco, yeah. like flor disote, like all of these other things that are native to the land that were accessible then and there mm -hmm. is what was filled inside of the pupusa. Like dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> That's like literally what I was thinking. I was like, like pork buns. Yeah, it's about pork. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm not a vegan. Um, I mean, I eat food. I love food. If it, does it look good? Does it taste good? Let me have yeah. it. So one of my favorite pupusas is actually would be considered a vegan pupusa. And it's just a pupusa de, de frijol with harina de arroz. Yeah. And it's so good. I love it. I, oh, I, I don't get revuelta. Or maybe I'll get the loroco con queso because that's loroco. just delicious. <laughs> um, but that's my favorite pupusa. And I honestly, so to answer your question about how I feel with a lot of these veganized or just trends that are changing it, I think people are, are hanging on to their what they love about Salvadoran food and they're trying to make decisions based on where they are at. Um, and I think that's okay. Yeah. I have a chronic illness, and so every chronic illness has to do with food, what you eat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have to decide, am I going to have pan dulce, or maybe I'm going to have a fresco de ensalada. Mm -hmm. I may want to have the fresco de ensalada instead of the pan dulce. And you're just, you're making decisions based yeah. on that. And, you know, food is personal, health is personal, but food and culture is very public and you share that with a lot of people. So I think I think there's tension there and I think I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm okay with it cuz you know, are you I think you can tell when people are disrespecting you know food. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to kind of work that muscle out a little bit that tells us no they're just trying to carry it with them. They're just trying to hold on to it. Um I'm not super, I'm not saying that everyone who does that is trying to respect it, but I do think that there's room, at least for me, there's room for for someone to say, oh, I'm not going to have that. And for, and I'm just going to say, okay, you do you, baby. <laughs> True. That was such a good, no, that was a really great, that was a really beautiful response. I'm like, like oh, you yeah. just, you have a way words. <laughs> which is, you know, like flor de isoto, loroco, um, chipilin, uh, hojas de, de platano, de aguacate, all these different things. And so Western food we tend to think of as very meat-centric. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're, you're going to have, um, what is it? Roast beef or like something or pastrami. like pastrami. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. like meatloaf. That's what I was Prosciutto. thinking. Prosciutto. It's like meat in meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. And, literally. Um, so, like, these are the centers of the meal. And I think of, like, salvi, like, heavy meat-centric foods are, like, pan con pollo or yuca con chicharron. And so, like, these, like, meat-centric meals aren't too meat-centric if you really break it down. Because, like, the pan con pollo, you have your lechuga, your rabano, your vero, your all your these different Francis. things. Yep. Yeah, your pan francés. And it's just, like, the, the, the pollo's there or pavo's there. It's all there, but all these different things add to the flavor. And same with the yuca con chicharron. If you're having this root, this starch with the chicharron, the, the meat isn't the center of it also. It's also this like 
really fluffy piece of like root that has been fried to the point where it like kind of melts mm, and crispy. so yeah. yeah at the same time oh so good <laughs> and so oh, yeah. I, i'm very curious how much of that has translated into like the recipes and things of like how much of it is it like these different herbs or veggies or things are the complements to it but if you would, don't have these you don't really have the pan con pollo you know like Pan con pollo without the verro or without rabano or without the remolacha for some folks too. It's just not a pan con pollo for them. Mm-hmm. And so these aren't necessarily meat centric anymore. And so I'm curious how much of that has translated into like the recipes or the stories being told or like have folks noticed that too of like, yo, you know, like the, the pollo isn't the big part of the pan con pollo. Mm-hmm. It's everything else too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I have um, found that most of the women, they kept, when we talked about food, one of the things that they kept saying is how much Salvadoran food culture is also about um, having a relationship with the plants. Mm. You know, the plantitas. One of the women. Your blog post, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Plantitas, yes. Ah. And I think that that's. so so important to our our Salvadoran food identity is that we have inherited a practice where we we touch our food we're familiar with raw ingredients we know how to manipulate them how to change them into something that's edible you know we make little packages out of plantain leaves or banana leaves (laughs) I mean so I think that that is a huge inheritance that I don't want to see go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you know what one of one of the things that they said was how much like you know every woman has her little garden or every home I should say. But Salvadoran food there's a lot of emphasis on vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seven as part of the cuisine there are seven edible flowers that are a part of the cuisine. And I found this study from I think it was La Universidad Técnica de Salvador they did a study on all the different edible plants of El Salvador. Oh my, can you send it to us? Can, can you send it to us and we'll put it in the notes of this episode? Because okay, that just okay. sounds so interesting. Oh my gosh, it was. It was. <laughs> and I was reading it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have a huge herencia. You know, you say inheritance and it doesn't just sound no, the way yeah. I want it to. <laughs> herencia, you know. Yeah. And it's this small little país in this small little corner of the world, but there is a wealth of nutrition in the plants that are in El Salvador. So mm-hmm. I do think that you, you've hit it on the head is the, the, the pork or the fish or the garrobo in some instances, yes. the iguana, um, is a complement to those flavors that are already naturally found in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the way that, you know, we consume food and, and you know heavy meat consumption mm-hmm. um, is an issue in a lot of ways I tend to feel that the Salvadorans in El Salvador and traditionally have kind of had a balanced view of it though mm-hmm. I should speak from my own experience though because I don't know how every Salvadoran eats yeah. so I do think it's an interesting thing um, and I love that we have so many vegetables and that we have such a tradition of eating plants. I think it's the coolest thing, and it's one of the things that I'm so excited to just learn 
more um, because I think we're just beginning. And in this this study I, I uh, mentioned, I think it's it was maybe 2013. So it's, it's fairly recent, new, yeah. recent, um, and I think we're going to keep learning more about it. And I think also, like, as far as food trends go, I think people want to feel good about how they eat. Yeah. And I think, you know, learning about all these edible plants and things that are native to the land, like, I think that's just a trendy kind of feel-good thing. But a lot of our ancestors were... You know, we were all doing that, you know, yeah. eating things that were native and close to the land. So, I know talking about we, Carla and us have had dinner before. We've like met and, and it, it was really nice. And a lot of what I feel like I always get from Carla is that, especially because you're interviewing so many people and like everyone has like their own personal relationship to food and things like that. And then how food ties with their own identity and their own culture. Everything is so different for every single person. And you're also just someone that is very, like, against shame. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are, obviously. But I feel it so much from you. Like, you're just someone that it's, like, you don't have to apologize for, like, the life that you've lived. Like, that's your life. Like, that just is your view. And that's, like, what it is. Like, there's nothing ugly about it. Like, that's just what it is. And so, like, listening to, like, both of you, I'm hearing, like, I'm going to be so honest. So... My mom is the one that's like Mexican, right? And then my dad is the one that's Salvi. So I genuinely got all of like my Salvi food. And also there's not a lot of women from my dad's family that are living here. And the one thing that I do have here, oh, her food ain't that popping. <laughs> to be on the real. And I've had random like Salvi mujeres like that are never like my own blood. It's always la esposa of like a primo mm. so it's always these women who are not like my actual cousins or like my actual tias or anything like that like these are the women who are making me food and feeding me and that it would only be like a woman for like two to three years um shout out to blanca shout out to <laughs> uh i just shout out to so many women that have been in like my life sporadically that gave me like that culture because my mom couldn't give it to me and that's like no ding to my mom. My mom is the best. Uh, and she is an amazing cook. Mm -hmm. But she makes Mexican food. She's Mexican. Like, why is she going to make anything else? And Mexican cuisine is it's, its own complex beast. And my mom is works as a cook. So my mom also cooks hella things that aren't Mexican, too. Like, she loves to cook. So I'm just hearing, like, all these fucking plantitas <laughs> and shit. And I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck it is. Like, my, my fucking food is through restaurants, through the restaurant. The culture, to me, was always in the restaurant. So, because that's, like, the only place that my dad would really kind of be able to dig deep. My mom, like, she makes fucking, like, platano frito. And, like, that's not, I mean, that's, like, Central American. But, like, anyone can make platano frito. You know, it's, that's a pretty easily accessible food to eat and my mom gets like the crema she prefers uh, crema salvadoreña and all that stuff and she tries to also maybe cook a little more for my dad's palate too but generally like my mom just kind of cooks what she wants to cook hmm. so I'm just kind of like I'm feeling like embarrassed but hmm. I also understand like there's nothing to be embarrassed about because it's like there is a big reason why I don't have like this food like association and like for me food is like so important to me comfort food is so important to me and, like, my mom's food is so important to me, but she doesn't give me that nourishment. And I do feel like because I don't have that that mother, like, <laughs> feeding mm -hmm. and, like, that genuine food love connection to Salvadoran food, at least that's, like, in a homemade type mm -hmm. of sense, I'm 
like lacking in yeah like know-how like custom culture and yeah and I mean I think that this is the I, I talked to this about you with you earlier and you gave me a really interesting response and so I'm just hoping you can give me another really interesting <laughs> response what did I say last you time? said that even though your mother is Mexican like this doesn't this also happens with people who have like mixed like cultured parents even if the woman is like Salvadoran, she might still conform to the Mexican father's like taste buds oh, and yeah. cook comida mexicana. Oh yeah. So and I like never thought of that because I was always like, well, if my mom was Salvi, I would definitely be way more connected to my culture because me and my dad have like a strained relationship. But also, he just does not cook. Like my dad just can't fucking cook. Like mm-hmm. he tries. Like he makes terrible food and mm-hmm. he just sucks at cooking. <laughs> So yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, like, what's the reality of the situation? And did that kind of help you feel like you understood why your mom didn't, why you didn't have that experience of, well, like, yeah, I mean, it, consuming? It, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, and it's like, I'm not mad at my mom. Like, my mm-hmm. mom, my mom's the fucking best. But it's just, that's just like, like I said, the reality of the situation. My mom is a Mexicana, so she's going to make fucking Mexican food. And that's what she knows how to make. That's what she grew up. She has her own relationship with her own tipos de plantitas. Yeah. <laughs> and I know random plants that maybe y'all don't know. Yeah. But that's just well, what it is. And and it is a, a, a really... Oh, there's so many things. I know. But, yeah, it definitely is, you know, historically looking at the role of women, right, in a relationship and how they operate. And if she had been Salvadoreña and it had been the reverse role, you know, she would have tried to maybe cook Mexican because... Una esposa le cocina al esposo lo que él quiere, you know? Mm-hmm. So you conform to those things. But also, you know, and I just want to say, like, it's also the responsibility of the father, you know, yeah. and, and picking up that slack um, and saying, like, this is what I contribute to, the, and this is what I'm putting on the table. And, you know, that's great that you had these experiences to restaurants and, you know, eating mm-hmm. at these different places. But... I, I do think that it's, you know, I and I'm definitely super, like, there's always something to learn. If you feel shame, if you feel, I've, I've been there. I have felt shame. I have felt embarrassed for not knowing something that the whole room I was in thought I should know. And, and that just is not very helpful. It's not. Because it's you not very learn. helpful. <laughs> I, I, I don't know yeah. how that is going to help me. I don't know how that helps you, honestly, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've, with everything I've tried to do, I'm really trying to tackle whatever embarrassment I've had to go through with actual, like, understanding. Like, understanding that even, even though I have my mom and she's cooked Salvadoran food, understanding that she was a mom who had limited resources and so the times that I went walked up to her and said mommy can you show me how to make you know salpicón lady was efficient so me trying to fuss about how to make something was not gonna bode well you know Mm -hmm. and so all of these things that we've had to and she would say to me, Ay, ¿por qué no te fijas? Or, Ay, ¿por qué me estás fregando? And it's just about, like, it just giving yourself some pause to be like, I don't have to feel this shame or this uncomfortable feeling. I can learn from this shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I've ever tried to really do. And it's given me so much 
more I feel so comfortable now I used to feel really uncomfortable in the kitchen people would tell me like oh man like I love that you are doing this culinary stuff and you know this is great you're teaching food like it must have come so easy because your abuelita was a great cook and your mom was a great cook and you went to culinary school it's like okay I'm it's great that you think that but that's not the story mm. you know you have to you got to fight for what you want to feel and if people make you feel otherwise you got to you got to keep fighting them and you know have show up the way you want and enjoy it before yeah. we close out i want to talk about curtido for a second yeah, yeah. <laughs> sam was like i have a serious curtido question well it's not <laughs> even a question it's more like a comment and i want to hear your thoughts on curtido too because okay. i'm sure you have some um but no. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> somewhere everyone has an opinion on curtido you like it or you don't but no um what i was really going to talk about is how it's like it makes sense economically pickled foods make sense oh to God, last yeah. for longer yeah and then I have a tia who lives in Virginia, and she keeps her, like, cumbo of curtido, like, in the fridge, stocked up. And they just put it on, like, any kind of meal they're having. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's very irregular because we didn't grow up with curtido all the time. Mm-hmm. But after we went to visit my tia and everything, my mom started doing that. And so we have curtido sometimes. We also have kimchi every now and again in the fridge just because we live in K-Town. That's what you do. And, um... Sounds awesome. Yeah, and it it makes sense because it's like, okay, these are a bunch of veggies that provides iron and I think a lot of fiber, at least in kimchi. Mm-hmm. And then the probiotic through the, through the, like the bacteria yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just makes, and it's fairly easy to make. My mom makes curtido and like she makes it in like an afternoon. And she's like, it's not going to be good. You got to really let it pickle. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's going to be good in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then there's the spicy curtido, you know, if you're, like, more on that side. Or there's the, like, you know, the, the regular curtido where it's not too spicy because you just, you're just doing it for the additional texture to your meal. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes so much sense. And I'm so, so thankful for curtido for existing just because I'm, like, a lot of communities in El Salvador came from, like, agriculture. And so it made sense to have something that you could, like, take out at any time and put with your meal and just have a nutritional value that's going to last you a long time make you feel good and you'll be good mm-hmm. and so shout out to curtido that was just, <laughs> that was just what i wanted to do uh, you're a real one you <laughs> <laughs> come through at every moment yep. yeah well it's funny you, i definitely have thoughts Sam, you're going to laugh. I've, re- I've written a poem about Curtido. Ooh, <laughs> she was okay. like, I fucking hate Curtido. <laughs> <laughs> I've written a disrupt to Curtido. <laughs> no, but, uh-huh. twist. Um, no, yeah, I, I'll never share. No. So <laughs> but I have. And Curtido is fascinating. Yeah. I, as a food historian, it's mm-hmm. something that I... Oh man, this is the stuff that (laughs) dreams are made of Um, because it's so exciting to find the history of how these ingredients kind of came up into, you know, this jar that's now pickled that we eat. And one of the fascinating things that I recently learned this year was 
the vinegar that's used for curtido was traditionally pineapple vinegar. Yes, mm. yes, yes. yes. My, yeah. mo- my mom said that to me one randomly one day because she got a bunch of pineapple vinegar. Yes. And she's like, hacen curtido tradicionalmente así. Yes. And I'm like, how could you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you make well, <laughs> your Mexican mom was right about this Salvadoran thing. Yeah, my mom is on the Salvi hacks, yeah. but yeah. she just doesn't do them all the time. No, no, absolutely. Um, most people folks will use apple cider vinegar or mm-hmm. white distilled mm-hmm. vinegar yeah. but traditionally you made your own pineapple vinegar and then you would use that to make you know your curtido and i think it's really interesting because that i know pineapples are not native to central no. america no so i'm kind of like okay well how did how did they get here so how and, um, so how recent is curtido you know well, that's the thing, yeah. Well, that's why I'm so fascinated mm-hmm. by all of this. Um, <laughs> and the the so that I should also mention that there are two Salvadoran cookbooks out there. One of them was published in twin in 2004. Do people say it? 2004. <laughs> and then and then um, 2014, um, Alicia Meyer, and she wrote the first one in English. And I met her to just be like, oh my gosh, like I'm such a fan. Like this is incredible what you're doing and she was talking about the spices that are in Salvadoran food. And she just said, you know, she hadn't given it too much study yet, but she wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the spices that are in our food that are prevalent, you know, have roots in the Silk Road. Like if you go way back and looking at all the migrations of different spices and of the different people groups who brought said spices, I th- all that stuff is oh my gosh yeah. I love it um, because cabbage I also like I'm not sure that that's native to yeah. the Americas oregano you know carrots I'm not sure onions either, yeah. onions I don't think they were either um, so it's just all of these things yeah. that somehow history and migration and war and all these things you know this is a consequence yeah. of all of the things that happened um but it has been a something i think about and i'm always like it'd be crazy to do a book on just curtido yeah. right it would be it's crazy it's not that crazy but then it's, it's not that yeah. crazy it's a, it's a big book yeah it's a pretty big book <laughs> it's a big book so we'll read it <laughs> i would love awesome. to read that. it'll be the my next cookbook <laughs> 50 recipes of just curtido, curtido? yeah uh, Okay. And all the things you can Sam do. Sam has a very good question. <laughs> and you, you've tied it perfectly with the like how different history and war and migration affect food. And you talked about it earlier, how trends affect food. Necessity affects food also. Like, you know, people in El Salvador, it was around them. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. And so <laughs> this is very niche to K-Town. And like, Sandra introduced me to this dish. It's Dak Galbi. Yeah. And it's um, a Korean dish, which is primarily made with, like, um, chicken meat. So, like, leg meat mostly. Tak in Korean is literally chicken. chicken. And then kalbi is rib. rib. Yeah, chicken, so rib. chicken rib. <laughs> but it's chicken pieces with uh, veggies, usually, I think, cabbage. Sweet um, potato. Sweet potato. Um, radish? Radish? I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't remember. But, um, and, like, a bunch of random little veggies, yeah. like sesame leaves and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it, it all gets mixed up. And it has, like, this really specific sauce made from Japanese curry and, like, all these other things. It's, like, really just, like, good food. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's very inexpensive and very filling. And it Mm -hmm. became popular in the 1960s 
among students in like college areas and soldiers because it was just a very filling meal and this was a literal way in which like war and things affected this food trend and now there's like a restaurant that dedicates just is dedicated to just this dish and it's bomb olympic in saint andrews okay yeah called mapo gawi yeah shout out gang gang (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really good and it like once i learned about the history because when i went with sandra we just ate and we were like going out for a night so it was like this is (laughs) i dropped the cheese too quick (laughs) (laughs) so it was like this is dinner and then when i started reading about the history of it i'm like okay well it makes sense these are a lot of veggies that were probably around Maybe it was like unused chicken bits and you just use them and you cook them all in the sauce and it's just something easy to make. You have your rice, you eat it with that, you're good. And you have a lot left over. Yeah. And so it just makes sense. And I'm curious if there's anything like that that you've noticed in Saudi cuisine considering we have a very recent war history also. I understand this might not be like a thing, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm very curious if there is something similar to that in Saudi cuisine. Like things that are repurposed for... Yeah, or like a, a trend that you've noticed that has come out of like... Necessity. Necessity or like a history shift or a massive migration or something. Like mm-hmm. an- another example I think of is like how vegan pupusas became a thing just because there's a lot of vegans who happen to want a pupusa. Yeah, and so the yeah. demand created the supply. That's it. Interesting Curtido question. could be one. Yeah. <laughs> Curtido could, could be, be one. one. Um, I, I know that some folks have talked about chuco as mm. one of those foods because it, the way it ferments. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think Jay Gold actually, he reviewed, I can't remember what, it was maybe in the 90s, 95, mm-hmm. and he was eating at Atlacat. Oh, yes, Beverly, yes. Yeah, (laughs) and he had this um, line where he says, I tried chuco, and it's one of those stews that poverty makes or something like that. That was kind of the line. And I remember when I read that, I was like, I never thought about it that way. Um, It could be. It could be. I'm not sure. Um, A lot of folks would, you know argue that maybe the the eating a lot of native plants is mm. is an extension of poverty um one of the recipes that will be in the book is a soup made out of um, hojas de chile mm. Mm. and it's in some ways it could be seen as that because you you don't have the fruit yeah. of this plant you're, you're just using the hojas yeah. um but yeah, I don't know where is like necessity or just like curiosity I mean, kind yeah. of mm-hmm. like yeah. Where does that leave you? There's a similar Korean dish called budechige and it literally translates to like army stew. Mm. And it's just straight up like whatever you have in your fridge and it usually it's comprised of like regular pack ramen noodles, um like rice cakes, uh sausage, spam. Like it's mm. it's definitely not like good for you. Mm. But it's like bomb. It's just literally all these like foods thrown in. Yeah. And it's called army stew and it's just like I don't know, I just think of that as like another yeah. example of like food that comes out of necessity. And and it was really popular in the war mm-hmm. and then afterwards it people just kind of for nostalgia and all that they still eat it now. Mm. Yeah. I mean <laughs> nostalgia is powerful yep um it can take something that is fermented and 
maybe very maybe. strong smelling or whatever <laughs> um, to, to be like, but no, this is what my grandmother made, mm-hmm. you know, or this is what I grew up eating when I was a little kid. Yeah. So nostalgia is very powerful. So I would even go and push back on the question and be like, well, how much of it was just nostalgia? Like one mm-hmm. curious person wanting to experiment and now we have this and they shared it with this person and now they're nostalgic for that moment that they had mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah, yeah i don't military know military culture is really big in korea i don't know <laughs> no it's true yeah. and i was just like well there's a very like kind of similar history in terms yeah. of like civil war and everything so i'm like i think this would be more of like i need to look more deep into mm-hmm. the, the archives and stuff mm-hmm. but no yeah it's definitely something that i think of this is all my train of thought yesterday yeah. of like curtido is so economic and just like all these things and i'm just like is there some like other thing that's kind of like curtido and also you know like this huge emphasis on vegetables and vegetarianism is so possible. A lot of our desayunos are very vegetarian. Yeah. And it's so easy to make them vegan too. So it's just oh, like, yeah. it was just a, a recurring thing. And I was making all these questions and I was just like, I hope Carla's ready. <laughs> <laughs> but ready. No, yeah, this is a I'm really great talk. I'm always ready to talk about uh, Always. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really happy to have had you as a guest. Yeah. Thank you both for yeah. having me. Yes. This was so I love I love this kind of talk. Yay! <laughs> yeah, this is like the nerdy stuff that I really like about food. Yes, <laughs> the food is so food media is so amazing and like food culture and like yes. it's so cool and I, it makes me sad like that not not a lot of mm. POCs are involved in food culture, not a lot of women, queer folks, like it makes me sad that the narrative for food culture is very like white male like Mm -hmm. literally very white male like super white male like overwhelmingly yeah i would actually just like to add too that you know with your question about trends and culture and all Mm -hmm. of that that the only way to kind of see if there's an answer to that question is for our community to Mm -hmm. step up you know as a latina food writer you know i i'm trying to I'm just beginning to, you know, put my foot in that door. But if there are no, like, restaurants who are open... And I know it, it takes capital. I'm not saying this blindly. Um, there is a huge gap as far as resources go. But if you feel encouraged, that you feel like you got something to say with food. Nicaraguense, you know... Costa Ricense, yeah, like, Belizean. We don't have any Panamanian restaurants in L.A. We don't. We don't have any Costa Rican either. Like I I, yeah, I really think that as down a, the street down yeah, the street <laughs> I I really wish we had those so we could we we could appreciate these things and you know I think that in the next ten years I, I think Central American food is actually what's going to be exciting and what's going to push the boundary and make us all uncomfortable and we're all going to be upset. <laughs> Um, but we're gonna <laughs> definitely, you know, I think yeah. this is this is what it's about. This is what what people say: doing it for the culture. Yeah, this is the conversation. This is the tension. This is the the thing you just carry because I I I know that you know, Salvi's here in LA. We are so sentimental about you know our roots, and we have so much love and respect for it. Um, but I, I think the only way for us to guarantee that it 
moves with us is that we practice it. We are opening the restaurants. We are we have a a really expensive one and you know your mom and pop shop and your street vendor you know and maybe one day we will have a five-star savvy restaurant to go to you know wouldn't that be exciting so yeah. mm-hmm. i really think it's about stepping up and and you know fighting your way in it's not easy but i think that's that's how we get to start to see the answer to that well okay so before we close out, do you have any shout outs, any plugs? You can put out your Instagram handle, your projects, anything. If by the time this episode comes out, your article is out in Eater, like we'll definitely put that in the show notes too. Um, so you can definitely follow on all the socials on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And definitely sign up for the newsletter on my website, salvisoul.com. I will be hosting a few cooking classes and there's going to be one in December and one in January, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, right now, just as far as the the book, um, the process of the book right now, I am finishing the proposal, uh, which this is my first book that I've never really tried to do any book publishing. It's hard. Um, you have to write a giant book proposal that's sometimes like 60 pages long. And a giant book. <laughs> and then like maybe they'll say yes, hopefully they do. And then you, yeah, yeah, you gotta write the Your actual book. book. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping to have that done by early November. I... I feel like I can get this done, but it's also, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a giant, like, master's thesis, business plan, different industries call it different things. Yeah. The publishing world just happens to call it a book proposal, so it's a lot. You're, you're pretty much proving that, give me money, please, so I can write this, and this is what I promise I can sell, like, if mm-hmm. it'll sell, if there's a market for it, which I definitely believe there is. There's there's nothing like it. Um, and I think that people want to know how to cook these things. So, yeah, so I have that coming out, um, hopefully, and, yeah, follow along. I'm always happy to share. I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Thank you both so much. Yes. yes. Really. Thank, thank you. you thank you for hosting us. We're at Carla's Pad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for hosting us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see y'all the next time. Yeah. Stay safe, y'all. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.